this morning, I want to share some thoughts with you. Uh, although it's a mission-focused month, um, I preached a mission sermon uh, this morning at the first service. So if you want to hear, you can go to our website. But today, I'm going to preach from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, I, I want to pick up some points from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is a book that when, when you attend wedding, uh, you will hear it uh, being read to you. 1 Corinthians 13 is a, is, is a chapter on love, but actually 1 Corinthians 13 is not written in the context of marriage. Although we use it in a wedding, it, it, it is actually in the context of church dispute, church problem. You know, many people in the church, it's always hard to be together, every family has issues, husband and wife, children with parents, and church is, is also no difference in that sense. There's conflict, they can't see eye to eye on certain things, you don't like this person, you don't like that person, and all kinds of things. Uh, it's very hard to relate. So the church in Corinth has a lot of problems. Uh, not much different from modern church nowadays, too. And so Paul writes to address some of this issue. And the heart of the problem is the lack of love. The heart of the problem is lack of love. So let me just uh, uh, read through this passage and I'm going to concentrate just on verse 7 today. Verse 7. And let me just read the whole chapter. I think it's good to uh, uh, remind ourselves. It's in the context of using different gifts, some people are showy, some people are better than others, and they're not waiting for one another, a communion, and all kinds of things. And so Paul has to write to address this problem. So I'm just going to read to you whole chapter. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, because they were speaking in tongues, and they think they are more spiritual, more superior if you have that gift than others who don't. So he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love." I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and if I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. Verse 7 is the one I'll, I'll preach on. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Although some really don't grow up. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror And we shall see face to face Now I know in part Then I shall know fully Even as I am fully known And now these three remain Faith, hope and love But the greatest of these is love Verse 7 says Love, it always protects Always trusts Always hope and always perseveres. And today I want to unpack those four words for you. And another version says, Love is. I can't even read. Love, ne- love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. And this is a contemporary English version. Love is always supportive, always loyal, always hopeful, and trusting. And old King James Version, which is the one I'll be using, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Carl Menninger, a very uh, famous psychiatrist, he says, love is a medicine for the sickness of the world. Love is a medicine for the sickness of the world. We can cure many, many human ills through love. It has been said that Mother Teresa, although she exposed herself to, uh, to all the sickness, you know, but rarely she fell ill. And uh, a lot of research has done because of her ability and the power to love. And that, in some sense, provides some sort of a strong immunity. I don't know. Love is a medicine for the sickness of the world. And Carl Menninger, a psychiatrist, summarized his therapeutic approach this way. He said, love cures. It cures those who give it. And it cures those who receive it. Either you give or you receive, you are healing. Either you heal yourself or you provide healing to others through love. I believe that many of our problems in life come from the fact that we are not properly loved. And that is why the heart of the gospel is that God loves us. And we don't have to blame blame our parents because they were also not properly loved. And you don't have to blame your grandparents because they were also not properly loved. Because of our fallen human nature, we are deficient, we are sinful, and we are not able to give the entire love as well because we are sinful creatures. And so unless we come and experience the heart of the gospel, which is God loves you, we've been singing about that today, that itself knows that you are loved fully by God, then and only we are able to release the kind of love that we receive from God. So it's not about your own ability, your own strength, but it is about experiencing the love of God. The Holy Spirit resides in us and outflow from it. 
then we will be able to provide love in this world. Think about it. Most of the songs in this world, are they not love songs? Most of the songs, huh? Whether Chinese song or English song or Indian song, Hindi song or Urdu song, whatever song, most of the songs are love songs. Why? Because human, we crave for love. We crave for acceptance. And when we don't get that, it manifests itself in many, many other ways in life. So love is a medicine for the sickness of the world. That's why the heart of the gospel is that God loves you. That is the starting point. And when you are able to accept and receive that, then it gives you amazing power within you to be able to go and do likewise and show love. So today I want to share with you four points uh, unpacking what Paul means by love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, and love always perseveres. So the first point is love bears all things. Love bears all things. And in NIV version is love always protects. Because no matter which translation you use, the meaning is the same. The word always is repeated four separate times, so it won't miss the point. Bears all things. The, word, the, the original Greek word of bears comes from a word which means roof. R-O-O-F, roof. It means to cover something. It is related to the word in Mark chapter 2. Remember the story of Mark chapter 2 where this man was paralyzed and they wanted to bring this man to Jesus but it was so crowded and what did they do? They went up through the rooftop and dismantled. Poor guy, man, his house got dismantled and pulled open. That guy must be quite good to convince four of his friends to bring him up the roof, open up the roof and lower him down to Jesus. And it is the same word as being used of roof, meaning protect. Uh, that offers protection from the hostile elements. It means to cover with silence. That is the original way of uh, translating the word bears or thing protect. It means to cover with silence. Or if you want one word, is suppress. To suppress, that's the basic meaning. And there's another same word that's being used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 of this thing, bears all things, the roof, protect. In, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul was actually defending his ministry. He was under severe criticism because some people supported him, money, and, and again, you know, whatever you do, you get criticized. And so he has to defend why he kind of uh, accepts some money for ministry and all that. So he said, he say, why not? Why can't I do that? And this is what he in the context. And now I'll, I'll, I'll show you the same word that's being used in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, bears is, is, is also same here. Put you in a better context. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me because they were criticizing Paul. Don't we have the right to food and drink? You say, so what if I'm minister? Don't I have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take believing wife along with us as we travel, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and, and Cephas, which is Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? 
Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? And then down to verse 10, Whoever plows and treasures should, should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So what if you give me some money in the sense that I live on those money? So what? Paul is saying, what's wrong with that? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more because we are apostles to you? But we did not use this right. Paul said, even though I have a right to receive support and survive on that based on argument, he said, even though I'm entitled, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Okay, Paul said, if by reaping material support from you, I cause some people to stumble, Paul said, okay, in that case, I'll give it up. I'll put up with anything rather than allow this issue to hinder the gospel of Christ. So the word put up with anything is the same Greek word that's being used in 1 Corinthians 13 called bears all things. Love covers. It covers over it. Put a blanket over it. Shield you. Cover your sin. As 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. You don't amplify people's sin. You're not going to announce people's sin to people. Hey, have you heard this person? And then word pass around and gossip and all that kind of stuff. But true love bears all things. It protects. It put a cover over people's sin rather than announce it and amplify it and put it on Facebook or something like that. We don't do that. True love, don't do that. That is precisely the meaning here. Love protects other people. It doesn't broadcast bad news. It goes the second mile to protect another person's reputation. Cover it. Basically, it means godly silence. Best all things mean godly silence. Silence. Protect, cover. And when you really think about love, means uh, godly silence. It bears all things, protect, cover it. Uh, means that love doesn't nitpick, isn't it? It doesn't nitpick. It doesn't point out every flaws of everybody. When you think of somebody, you always think about their flaws. It means to say that you give people the benefit of doubt. Somebody said that you can't talk everything out. Some things you just decide not to worry about. If you took time to point out every mistake your husband or your wife or your children or your parents made, I don't think you have any time for anything else. Love doesn't nitpick. Love doesn't criticize in public as well. I think this is perhaps Paul's primary meaning in the context Love doesn't do its dirty laundry for all the world to see. It covers in silence. If you hear some people talk about their announcing some dirty laundry of their family, wife or husband, in public, can you imagine what they did in private? They say that silence and smile are two powerful tools. 
Smile is the way to solve many problems and silence is the way to avoid many problems. Godly silence. Some things you cover over it. You overlook it. There is a meaning of bears all things. It's godly silence. Don't amplify. You protect people. You don't fan the flame and announce it to the whole world of what the person has done wrong. Love bears all things. Secondly, love believes all things. I think this is one of those phrases which is easily misunderstood. To believe all things does not mean that you are to believe anything that someone you love tells you. Neither does it mean that love is naive, undiscerning, credulous. We are not talking about gullibility here and a foolish lack of skepticism uh, is not part of love. It, doesn't, it does not mean that we are to throw away our wisdom, suspend our better judgment, or just naively accept any story that someone tries to pawn off on you. Believe all things does not mean that. The Bible is not commanding us to be gullible. The word believes, again, comes from a Greek root word simply means faith. There is... It's best understood that, that we assume the best in others. Believes or that you assume the best in others. It means that we give others the benefit of doubt. It takes people at their highest and best and not at their lowest and worst. Love believes in all things. It means that we are willing to trust one another. You take people at their highest point, not at their lowest valley. It means that we are to have confidence in the one we love, to trust them, to always give them the benefit of doubt, believing the best of them. It is a relationship that is not filled with suspicion. It is filled with trust. We often use the expression today, innocent until proven guilty. That can apply here. Innocent until proven guilty. Not guilty until proven innocent. Imagine what that, what that does to a person to be loved like, like, like that, to be trusted, to be believed to know that they have someone's confidence. I think you and I can know that, isn't it? You know if someone trusts you, have confidence in you, believes in you, it somehow gives you extra freedom. You dare to fail. You dare to make mistakes because you know this person trusts you and believes in you. And so that's the fundamental Miller believes, you trust, you give the benefit of doubt. You are not going around always suspicious of the person. You believe the person. Perhaps you're struggling to believe all things about others in our church. Perhaps you are quick to expect others to fail or fall. Perhaps you don't believe that others will respond to the things they should. You doubt that they are capable of doing what they promise, you believe they will fail, you believe they will fail you and failure to believe all things is marked by suspicion and we suspect that others are being deceitful, hiding their true intentions and motives believes all things simply means godly trust godly trust you believe 
in the person. You believe. You don't doubt. You keep. You believe as best as possible that you can, and give them the benefit of doubt. Uh, people will become who you believe them to be in many sins. That's why Jesus said to Simon, "Simon, you are a rock." Even though Jesus, before Peter, denied Jesus three times, he said, "Peter, your name is the rock," and then he lived up. To his name, to the prostitute, he said, "Your sins are forgiven." And Jesus said, "Neither do I condemn you." It is the simple power of believing the best and not the worst about people. Can you imagine everybody think the worst of you? What will happen? I used to have a wrong perception of someone I know in my previous church. Until I went fishing with him, I realized that he was such an amazing man. He was so helpful. He helpful of people. He's really in his seventies, and yet he helped people to unload, pushing the all the the boat and all that. And I went fishing with him for half a day. I discovered the best of him. Although many times I only see him see the worst of him, but I discovered a different. Anger of him. Sometimes, as a pastor, you either see the best of us, and also you see the worst of us. We are because we are always at work. Can you imagine? I go to your workplace and look at you perform your work. Either your best or worst sometimes, or in your family. So love believes all things. It means godly trust. Give the benefit of doubt to the person. But what if you? Bears all things, you cover and you believe, and yet no changes happen. Nothing changes. Whether it's your husband, your wife, or your children, or some people that love you, bears you believe, and yet the person keep on taking you for granted and take advantage of your love and all that. Keep abusing. What do you do then? Then you go to the next step. You hopes all things. Believes all things seems to imply the present. You use all your means to do to change to help people change or whatever. They say love kills or something like that. You try it all on people, but people doesn't. It doesn't happen. The person still the same. The person still take advantage of you, abuse your kindness, abuse your love, abuse your everything that you throw at them, and yet no change. What do you do? Love hopes all things. Hopes all things. This is simply. A step beyond believing. There are times in life when you face situations so difficult that faith is not possible. You will gladly give the benefit of doubt, but there is none to give. You search for the silver lining, but the angry clouds overhead have no silver lining. And maybe you are facing a situation like that right now in your life. There is difficult circumstance for which there are no easy answer. It may be your marriage. It may be one of your children. It may be your family. It may be an illness. It may be impending financial disaster. It may be your job. Whatever it is, only one word applies to you: impossible. You believe and you believe. Nothing happened. What does love do in an impossible situation? What do you do when you can't believe anymore? You hope. You hope. 
There's a step beyond belief. Belief is finding a tiny grain of evidence to rest on. Hope rests on God alone. Meaning, seemingly, everything you have done already, nothing you have tried, is not working, nothing. You can't see anything now in your horizon. Then you move to this step of hoping and trusting and believing in God. To hope all things means that we never consider another to be a lost cause. It means that we never give up each other even when we see one another fall and fall hard. Hope. It means you trust in God. Godly optimism. Not in your circumstances, you see, not in your own strength to make it happen now. You go deeper than that. You hope, you trust, and you believe in God. You say, God, I have really done everything possible on my part. I am now going to hope in you, trust that you are the one that's going to do the job and not me anymore. So you believe all things, you hope all things, that God will do it, do the job. I, I, I often been told, even I myself, sometimes uh, uh, in despair, I kind of go down this pathway that we often say we must accept people just the way they are. They are like that. What to do? Nothing you can do. You try everything. Same, same. Sama, sama. Same, same. Never change. Forever the same. After 20 years, same. I try everything. Same. What to do? People are like that. You just accept them and leave it as it is. That's it. Whatever will be, will be. Isn't it? When we despair, we try, and then like that, what to do? In some sense, it's quite true that we must accept people just the way they are. This is true in one sense, but it's untrue in another sense. Sometimes we are tempted to throw up our hands and say, well, this is the way you are, and no matter what I do, you are never going to change. That is not acceptance. That's actually fatalism. It is only true if you are an atheist. If you don't believe in God, that is right. But if you believe in God, then God is in the picture. Biblical acceptance is based on hope in God. It says, I accept that this is the way you are right now, but I don't believe that you are going to stay this way. I am not giving up hope. You continue to believe the person, trust the person, but at the same time, you know that all your effort is, is going down the tube and drain. You hope in God then. You believe that God, in His sovereign will, His timing is perfect, and you leave it to God to do the job and not you. And you must do your part. Keep on keeping on, and you trust that God, in His sovereignty, He will prevail. But what do you do if you bear all things, you cover, you believe, you trust, you hope? Same, same. Then how? Final step. Love endures all things. Love endures all things. The word endures comes from the original word means to abide. Under, to abide. To abide under some great pressure or suffering. Very similar in the meaning to the first one, bearing all things. 
The word endures actually comes from a military term that means to hold a position at all costs, even unto death. Whatever it takes, I am staying at my post. The battle may be lost, but a soldier keeps on fighting to the very end. The word pictures an army surrounded by superior forces being attacked and slowly overwhelmed on every side. One by one, your comrades fall at your side. Through the din battle comes one final command from the general or whoever, your sergeant. Stand your ground, man, and if necessary, die well. That is the meaning of endures all things. You don't give up your post. You just stand there, and if necessary, you die well. You don't abandon your post. You stick there, even that means you die. That is the meaning of endures all things. So love holds fast to people it loves. It perseveres. It never gives up on anyone. Love won't stop loving even in the face of rejection. That is the meaning of endures. You stay your post. Stay on your post. So verse 7 comes to a logical climax, isn't it? Before. First, love covers the sin of the one it, it loves. And then love believes the best as long as that is possible. Give the benefit of doubt. Love hopes when you cannot believe anymore. Everything you try, you nothing can be done. You look to God. God, you, you are in charge. You are in the picture. You made us. You, you are sovereign. Love hopes when you cannot believe. And finally, love endures when even hope is gone. Love does not commit suicide. It doesn't give up and walk away. That is not the meaning of love. Love never gives up. Love never fails. It does not commit suicide. You don't give up on love. No matter how, you just stay on and keeping on. Love is not passive in the face of unjust treatment. Love takes action to shake up an intolerable situation. Love looks beyond the present to the hope of what might be in the future. Well, I have some more bad news for you because to love like this doesn't mean that everything will always work out the way you like. This only happens in cheap movie, cheap novels will tell you that. In real life, love is often crushed, bruised, rejected. Loving others is risky business because your love can be abused. But for the Christian, let me say this. There's only one possible answer. It is better to have love and lost than never to have love at all. It is better to love and lost than to never love at all. Why? I tell you why. Because the consequence of not loving is even worse off than loving. The consequence of not loving, not taking the risk to love, is worse than trying to protect yourself from harm. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And 
I read this many times before, and, and I read this quote in every wedding that I, that I uh, wedding sermon that I have to preach. I always tell them. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, "To love at all is to be vulnerable." He said, "Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung, and possibly be broken." So, if you love anything, your heart will be broken. Right? If you want to make sure that your heart won't be broken, or you want to keep it intact, then you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. You wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. You avoid all entanglements. You lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable. It will become irredeemable. And the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. So what C.S. Lewis is saying that while love actually is going to be very hard, but the alternative to not love is worse. It says that I often, I often tell people that to be a disciple it costs, but not to be a disciple is even more costly. It's even more costly. We often don't recognize that we are. We often don't realize that at all. We think the alternative is better. We think that alternative is better. But sometimes it's not true. Sometimes the alternative is worse. So to not love is even worse. And Christian, we don't have a position. The Bible commands us to love because love actually keeps you become human. Jesus took the risk to love. And he suffered severely severely as well. But love stands its ground in the face of curses, slander, hatred, ill-treatment, and the words that man can dish out. And Corey Ten Boon, in his book, The Hiding Place, she said, when asked how she could endure a Nazi concentration camp without bitterness, she replied, well, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And that is where Jesus is. Jesus is an embodiment of love. He's the embodiment of this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. He's the embodiment of that. Somebody suggested that instead of putting the word love, try putting in your name. <laughs> try putting in your name first. Glenn is patient. <laughs> Glenn is kind. Glenn does not envy. Glenn does not boast. Glenn is not proud. Man, you get smaller and smaller, isn't it? But try putting in the name of Jesus there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. 
always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That is the heart of God. He is the embodiment of this. And when we encounter Jesus and experience that He loves us, then and only we are able to live out that kind of calling that we are asked to do. Let me close with it. There's a story about, have you heard of the poems, Curfew Shall Not Ring Tonight? Anybody heard of it before? Curfew Shall Not Ring Tonight. Uh, it tells of the story of a young soldier by the name of Basil Underwood, who served under the Puritan general Oliver Cromwell, and who was condemned to die. And the time of his death was fixed at the ringing of the curfew's bell. And this young man was soon to marry a beautiful young lady by the name of Bessie. She had undertaken every effort to, av to avert his fate, but all in vain. And so in her despair, she tried to get the old sexton at the church not to ring the curfew bell, because once the curfew bell rings, it's time for he's taking at a signal to, to, to kill him. But to no avail. He said he had rung the bell faithfully for long, long years, and he must do his duty. Curfew bell must ring tonight, he said. And the hour for the execution drew near. The officers of the law brought forth the prisoner and waited while the sun was setting for the curfew bell to ring. But to the wonder of everyone, curfew did not ring. Only one human being at that moment knew the reason, Bessie half wild with the thought of her lover's peril, had said to herself, curfew must not ring tonight. She rushed up the winding stairs and she climbed the ladders into the belfry loft, seized the tongue of the bell and wrapped her body around it. The old sexton down below threw his weight upon the rope and the bell swung to and fro in the tower. But no sound issued from the bell, for Betsy took its every blow upon his own her own body, and she would not let go. And the old sexton, who was deaf by the way, I don't know why he was, uh, had not noticed that the bell did not ring. When he had finished, Betsy, wounded and trembling, descended from the bell tower, she hurried from the church to the place of execution and General Cromwell himself had now arrived and just as he was sending to demand why the bell was silent, she saw him. And then the conclusion of the poem says this, At his feet, she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn, and her young face still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touch his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Young Betsy is the embodiment of what the Bible is speaking about here. There was not literally nothing she would do, not do to save her beloved. From begging every authority, to formulating that outrageous plan, the unbashed climbing of the tower, even to the crushing of her own body by the bell. She demonstrated by her life that there was nothing she would do, she would not do to save the one she loved. 
she was literally willing to bear all things. And that, in some sense, is what Jesus has done for us. God loves you. God loves you. Please think about that. If people, if all of us believe truly that Jesus loves you, it will revolutionize the way you live your life. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray first. We're going to sing a children's song. We learned from Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because I want to bring home this point that God loves you until you experience God's love in your life. Then and only truly you are able to love. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you love us. Thank you that each time when we doubt, we just need to look at the cross. Thank you that as we, you are the embodiment of what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. Love bears all things. It covers with silence. Love believes all things. Give the benefit of doubt. Don't think the worst of others. Love hopes all things. When all else fails, we know that you are sovereign. You work on your timetable and not our timetable. We just need to keep on believing and keep on hoping. And when all else fails, still, we keep on loving because love never fails. Love never commits suicide. Love is powerful uh, because God loves us, sets sinners free, and we are free. Indeed, we are free when we know that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As we sing this song, Lord, this old, old song that many of us learned when we were young, uh, help us, Lord. This will sing into our heart and know that you love us. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know.